Father, I am uh, coming in this morning just feeling a little scattered. And so I pray that you would um, come in your peace and just help me to be fully present. And I pray that for my friends here, uh, the same for them. I pray that you would help us to just slow down and be here and, and meet with you, Lord, that you would um, make us open to be able to receive from you, uh, that you would help us to put down whatever we're coming in here with, thinking about what is past or what is to come, and help us to be uh, right here with you. And um, Father, I thank you that you promise that your word never returns void. It never returns unfulfilled for the purposes that you send it out. And Lord, you, you are sending it out here today for us, for these specific individuals here um, in specific ways that you want to work in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that. And we also thank you that you will do that uh, because you are faithful. Um, you have made your promises to us. Uh, you have made covenant to us and uh, you do not change. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. No matter how we find ourselves coming in, um, you are here and you love us and you're faithful and uh, you're filled with power and filled with love. And, um, and we just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, thinking about this, this passage this week, I was brought back to my middle school days and I was thinking about one year in particular, in my seventh grade year, there was a, uh, a blind girl in my class named Jamie. And uh, Jamie was, I didn't know her very well, but she was always smiling. And what marked her for me was like, she was so full of joy. She was always smiling, always singing. Um, and when I think about Jamie, I also think about a young man named Robert, who's very different from Jamie. Robert was, um, lived in a trailer park, smelled kind of funny, was always getting in fights, always in trouble, always saying and doing horrible things. Um, but he and Jamie were kind of like an odd couple because their desks were like apart from everyone else. Jamie, for different reasons, uh, Jamie needed to kind of be close to the door and away from a lot of things that would get in her way of trying to get out the door and close to the teacher. And Robert needed to be close to the teacher because uh, of the reasons that, that he needed to be close to the teacher. But that allowed them to kind of be this odd couple. And, uh, and so I remember just Robert would do all sorts of things to Jamie. Like Robert would, uh, when we were walking somewhere, he would put his foot out and try to make Jamie think that there was a wall there so that she would have to turn and go some other direction. Uh, Robert would, um, one thing in particular that I remember was, uh, I remember walking to get, uh, sharpen my pencil one day and, and I hear Jamie kind of singing to herself, which is normal. And she was singing a song about like sunshine or something. And Robert was just over there like working like so uh, diligently at this work. And he's kind of singing along with her. He's like, yeah, yeah, sunshine, sunshine. And, and then I got closer. I realized what he was doing. He had a hole puncher and he was punching holes in Jamie's braille sheets. And I said, Robert, are you punching holes in her braille? And he said, Oh, yeah, man, she loves it. It's like fill in the blank. <laughs> so, <laughs> so middle school me, um, like my, my main takeaway from that experience was I remember thinking, 
I can't think of a worse fate than to be either one of those people. And I remember thinking um, how I knew like that that was the worst thing. Um, but in this passage, Jesus actually has something to say to seventh grade me and current me and to us about um, what we know and what we see in scripture. Anytime uh, talk about being, being able to see, uh, there's a, a really, really loose connection there with knowing and perceiving. And, um, and Jesus is saying, hold on, hold on. Before you make a, uh, a judgment like that, let me, let me talk to you about something. So um, who's reading scripture this morning for us? Nilka, if you'll come on up. As Nilka's coming up, we've been in this series uh, called Be Curious and uh, kind of playing off the, the Ted Lasso um, you know, call to be curious. But the idea is that we are looking at these, these passages in scripture in the gospel accounts of who Jesus is, knowing that um, we, especially if you've grown up in the South, um, whether you are from some branch of the church or you are not a part of the church at all, that we are amassing information and judgments and thoughts and perceptions about who Jesus is from other people, from ourselves, from our own life experience. And uh, some of those are false, uh, even from well-meaning people. And so we, we have these all sorts of different images of what Jesus is like. Um, and sometimes we, we need to get rid of some of those thoughts and images and, and perceptions. And so what we're doing is we study these passages in the gospels. These are accounts where Jesus is encountering someone for the first time. And we're, we want to see through what he says and what he does, who he really is. And that's, that's how we want to understand who Jesus is. And so um, we are in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that, that this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that he, the works of God might be displayed in him. We, mu we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Hmm. Thanks, Nilka. Okay, so um, here we have Jesus and his disciples. They're, they're walking, and they pass by this man who was blind from birth. And the disciples ask Jesus this question. Um, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so um, there's an assumption that the disciples are making here. Um, they are assuming that suffering is bad, and then it's directly related to God's judgment. And then kind of the, the flip side of that assumption is if your circumstances are good, then that must mean that you're good and that God loves you and he's paying attention to your life. But this assumption that they make, um, it's really important for us to see this because we do this all the time. Um, I come in with my partial knowledge and I'm asking God a question rooted in my assumptions. But if, if my assumptions are wrong, then uh, it's gonna blind me and keep me from being able to see the truth. 
Because when they walk in with this question, they're saying, we know. Like there's, there's something that we already know. We know that this man is blind because he's being judged by God somehow. But what we don't know is, is he being judged because of his sin or is he being judged because of his parents' sin? Because there's talk in the Old Testament, there's some scripture references where it talks about how those who are, are rebellious against the Lord, they will be punished and then uh, their children after them in the next generations. And so that's, it's not this baseless question. The disciples were kind of thinking like, well, you know, that's what it says in scripture. So, so what, what's the deal here? What's going on here? And they're, they're missing the whole thing. And so I just want to stop here and say um, God's ways are not simplistic and formulaic. They're not um, something that we can figure out and crack the code and then we can hold God in bondage to our understanding of him. And we can manipulate him and we can know how everything works and, and be in control. Um, he is wrapped in mystery. He does speak to us. He does reveal himself to us. But it's like John Calvin said, um, the, the theologian, uh, the French theologian, he said that um, when God communicates to us, he communicates truth, but he, he talks to us in baby talk because we are so limited that even these great mysteries that we have in scripture, even these like writings that are the pinnacle of wisdom um, is baby talk to the infinite God of the universe. And he has to stoop down like we do with little children and talk to us in ways that we can understand and words that we can understand. And so this is the God that we serve. Um, this is the God who is, um, who is high above us and who does speak to us and does lead us, but he also is, is mysterious. Um, it made me think about in Second Peter uh, 3.16, Peter's letter to the churches, um, he says there are some things in Paul's writings who, you know, as, as we might know, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. There are some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So one thing that's kind of cool is, is Peter is already referring to Paul's letters as scripture. Um, but what he says he's acknowledging that there are things that God gives us that are really hard to understand. And, and so it would be very wise of us to not walk around um, assuming that we know and have everything figured out. Uh, it's better to, to just ask the question and let the Lord lead us. And so uh, they ask this question, Lord, we, we know this much, but is it because of him or because of his parents? And Jesus says, actually, it's neither. The answer is neither. Your assumption is wrong. Um, the reason that this man was born blind is so that his body, his life, could be a theater for the glory of God. This man was born blind so that his life would display the love and power of God. So um, the darkest, most painful, deadest places in our lives are a theater to display God's glory first to us as we see the way that he enters our lives and works in our lives. And it amazes us that the God of the universe would pay attention to us, that he would care enough to come and stoop down and get into these, these really hard, really painful places with us to show us that he loves us and that he is more powerful than anything that could keep us from him. But he also does that after us to show the world. Uh, think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 
12, he's talking about this suffering that he has, this thorn in his flesh. And he says three different times, I pleaded with God, would you please, please take this away from me? And, and I know a lot of y'all out there know the feeling of what that's like to pray that prayer about something. And he is pleading, Lord, please take this away from me. And it says that the Lord answered him, but here's how he answered him. He said, no. He said, I'm not going to take that away. And here's why. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. That word made perfect means is clearly displayed. My power is clearly displayed in weakness. And so Paul walked away saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is the way that the Lord works in the lives of his people is that he is allowing us to endure these things so that he can show his goodness and glory. And sometimes we hear that and we're like, man, that's so puzzling. That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, let's just take it back to a, an ultimate cosmic level. This should not be a surprise to us at all because um, very soon after creation with the, the first man and woman who ever existed, they rebelled against God and they brought sin into the world. This wickedness that warps and profanes everything. So it's like somebody just took um, a bunch of filth and just threw it all over God's canvas of the beautiful work that he had just created. And instead of scrapping everything, the Lord said, no, 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 this is good. I'm going to work in this because I'm going to undo everything that is bad. I'm going to undo everything that is warped and wicked. And I am going to not only now you've seen me create beauty and, and wisdom and goodness. Now you're going to see me do something even more amazing. I'm going to recreate it. I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring new life to places that no one thinks that's possible. And I love what it says here as Jesus explains what's happening and why this man was born blind. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. That's God the Father. So he's telling us like the works, you can tell the works of God the Father because they are works of healing and restoration and new life in the darkest and deadest places. That is what the Father is up to and that is ultimately why he sent his son Jesus into this world. And Jesus is giving us pictures of this, um, and then he will, he will perform the ultimate work. And that's, um, you know, it says here, it, it's a little confusing. It can be a little confusing what Jesus says here in verse 4. Um, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, but night is coming when no one can work. Um, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus is referring to here is, is his ultimate work. Um, the reason that night is coming, the reason that light will be swallowed up and engulfed in darkness is because Jesus is telling us here, I am the light of the world. And as we talked about baptism and, and just the waves of God's judgment and the waves of, of sin and wickedness, um, he's going to be enveloped in that darkness the light of the world is gonna be snuffed out temporarily by that darkness. Um, because what Jesus was doing with all of these signs, with all of his teachings, with all of the, the miracles that he's performing, all the signs that he's doing, he is pointing forward to what he's ultimately doing that is gonna be the work of recreation, that is gonna be the work of restoration, it's gonna be the work of undoing sin. Um, and that is the cross. That is Jesus, the only one who is perfect, 
um, has come and he has taken our place. And literally all of the sin, all of the sin of God's people is, is born into his body. And he is, he is hung up on a tree to be judged. All of that sin is judged and paid for so that uh, you and I can be free. So that all of that that separates us from God, all of that that keeps us blind to who we really are and to who God really is can be done away with. And nothing can stand in the way between us and God being in this union that we were created for that is more intimate and, and more um, single oneness than we could ever imagine. And that is what Jesus has done on the cross. That is what he, is, he has been in the world doing. That's what he ultimately accomplished on the cross. And that's what is still playing out uh, to this day. So the works of him who sent me, uh, the works of the Father, culminate in the cross. But it's, we see little, little works of the Father that are pointing to the cross all the time. Uh, of the ways that he's restoring and he's bringing new life to us and to people that we know and people that we love and things in the world and situations and, and power structures. The Lord is working in the midst of darkness to bring light. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, um, we have this treasure now, this Jesus who is ours, who lives inside of us in jars of clay fragile things that are our bodies, that are our lives. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what Paul is saying here is that um, we are going to experience weakness. We're going to experience frailty. We're going to experience suffering so that we can watch as God makes our lives, those places of weakness and suffering, a theater to display his love toward us and his power at work within us. So that when everyone sees that, they won't say, wow, that guy really has it together. Or wow, that guy's amazing. Look what he accomplished. They're going to say, wow, look at that God who has loved that man or that woman. And look at the work that he has done in their lives. It makes me think about one of my best friends in the whole world, a guy named Jake, my best friend in high school. Um, he was the most smart mouth, foul mouth, uh, aggressive vindictive guy um, in some ways and he came to faith and afterwards um, I met somebody who only knew him after he came to faith and they said wow Jake is like the most gentle man I've ever met in my entire life and as a friend of his from from before Jesus encountering him and after I could say like wow look at that God because it's not this man it's not this man it's not this man or this woman it's it's the power of God in love, at work, within his people. That is who he is. That is what he does. Um, and so going back to the, the dark places, going back to the blindnesses, why specifically um, do we have the specific sufferings that we have, the specific thorns on our flesh? Um, I don't know. And, and we, we will likely not ever know. But we do know what he is doing, and we do know ultimately why he is allowing that to happen. And so just a note here, um, as, as some of y'all may be thinking as times that I've thought when I read passages like this, you're like, why, why is all the healing that we're talking about now spiritual and not physical like it was with this man? Because it's a lot easier to see the physical healing. And, you know, as I've asked that question over the years, um, I think, I think this is where I am today. And I think this is uh, what the Lord's been saying to me through his word and through other people um, is he certainly does heal miraculously today. 
There's no limit on God's power. He, he invites us to pray for anything. He invites us to pray for every kind of healing. He wants us to. Um, and he is capable, and he does. He works in these supernatural ways like he worked in the life of this blind man. But he will not do that work the most often. Why not? Because that would not be good for us. It would keep us enslaved to worshiping the miracle and the changing of circumstances and missing eternal life himself. It's a trap. Um, that's why we here in, in our, um, this, this body, this congregation, we don't obsess over um, physical healings. Because it's a beautiful thing. We pray for physical healing. When people are sick, when people are dying, um, when people have a diagnosis, when people have issues, we go to them and we pray over them. Uh, as the Lord calls us to do, he invites us to pray. Um, but we also don't believe that that is the greatest need that there is. That he is at work on deeper levels doing far more um, wild and miraculous things than meeting us in our, our physical needs. But Jesus here um, and throughout his ministry on earth, this is where if you read all through scripture, you're gonna have a lot of supernatural work concentrated in the gospels and Jesus's earthly ministry. Why? Because he is using these physical signs as signs to point to what he's doing spiritually and saying, hey, don't miss, this is just the appetizer. This is just the thing that gets you in the door. But these things are all pointing to the ultimate thing, which is the biggest deal. This is the most amazing miracle that there is, is what I'm doing on a spiritual level. And so um, what he does with this man next is uh, very weird. Um, the way that he chooses to heal this man's blindness is to um, make mud pies with his spit in the ground. Like, what are you doing? Um, and he spits on the ground and, and makes mud with his saliva and he rubs it on this man's eyes. And this is basically like picture in picture. He's saying, what I'm doing now is a very physical, tangible picture. I'm putting mud on this man's eyes because what I'm doing to heal him now of his physical blindness is a picture like that for what I'm doing ultimately to heal you all spiritually. And so what he does he gives us this like sort of two-prong um, picture with the, the eye mud pie deal that he does. Uh, and the first is this, mud and clay, like it's the same word in scripture. And Isaiah 64, eight says this, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And what Jesus is doing when he uh, puts the mud on this man's eyes is he's saying, you're blind because of the state of things, because of sin in the world. And just like God created you, I have to recreate you. I have to recreate your eyes to restore them and bring healing to them. And so that's this one half of this picture that he's doing with the, the mud. The second half is recreation necessarily involves the washing away of sin. Ultimately, it's a sin problem because sin ushered in all kinds of deformity into the world on a spiritual level, on a mental and emotional level, and also on a physical level. And so when he, he anoints that mud becomes a picture of the filth of sin and he commands this man to go wash in this pool. Um, and in this pool, Siloam, it says here means sent, but really more helpful, it means like sending out, like gushing forth. And a historian from that time called this pool a fountain of sweet and abundant water. And he's saying, 
you need, to, in order to be restored and have sight, you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed. And that is a, an essential part of you being able to see. And so the man goes and um, his eyes are recreated and his sight is restored. And so Jesus um, shows us here what he came to do. He came to heal. He came to heal um, Jamie, uh, the blind girl in my seventh grade class. He came to heal Robert and he came to heal me. Uh, the one who was blind to my own dysfunction and my own uh, issues that I couldn't see at the time because he's saying, hey, you are all in this place where you cannot see rightly. You can't see your need, but I'm the light of the world. And what light does is it comes and reveals the truth. It reveals uh, the truth that I am in desperate need of a savior. It reveals the truth that um, God is not an enemy to be avoided, but God is the one who loves me and the one who has come after me and the one who is, is giving me new sight so that more than anything else, I can have a relationship with him because that's what I was made for. And so if you read the rest of this chapter, which we're not gonna do today, but you guys might want to uh, this week, chapter nine of John, uh, we see what life is like after sight. Um, this man who did nothing to ask for or earn uh, this sight, this, this blessing from Jesus, um, he did just what May did when she received the baptism waters. He just was there and received it. Um, life after this is, um, we see play out in this passage. One, uh, right after this, people have a hard time recognizing this man. They're like, wait, that's the guy that was blind and begging. And they're like, no, 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 it can't be him. It was somebody else. And he's having to tell the people, no, 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 it's me. I'm the one. Like, I'm just different now. Um, and that's, that's something that marks the life of those um, whom Jesus has changed is, no, 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 I'm, I'm different now. I'm a new creation. Um, and then the Pharisees come, these people who are enemies of Jesus, and they are, they are interrogating this man to ask him what God did. Um, and it's a beautiful picture of what we do now um, in Christ is the way that we testify to, to what he has done in our lives is we don't have to know everything. But these guys are asking him all these questions and he says, um, hey, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know everything about who Jesus is, but I can tell you one thing. He says, one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Like, I, I can't tell you everything about all the mysteries of the cosmos and everything in scripture and all the things that Paul wrote that are hard to understand, but what I can tell you is that God has come into my life and he has changed my life and I'm not the same. And now I have a relationship with him and he is my father. And then finally, the last, last part of this chapter is, um, you know, when, we are when sight is restored, when the Lord brings healing, it doesn't stop suffering. Um, this man was, was kicked out of the synagogue, the community that he was in. Um, but it says that Jesus heard that and came and found him. And he, he encouraged him and he said, hey, I'm with you. And you don't need to worry about that. And so as we go from here, um, we do need to be restored. We do need to be able to see rightly. And Jesus is the one who cleanses us and brings that restoration. And as we go from this place and follow him, um, all we have to do is, is tell about what he's done for us and trust him that he will continue to reveal our sight. He will continue to restore our sight and reveal what's there as he walks with us because he will never leave us. Father, thank you for um, your goodness. 
And Lord, um, thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your grace. And uh, Lord, I pray this week uh, that you would move in new ways in our lives that uh, would allow us to see more, more of our need for you, more of who you are, more of uh, a picture of the beauty of, of who you are and what life is like in you, Lord. And um, uh, pray now that you'd speak through our friend Jack, um, who's going to come and share a little bit of what this has been like for him uh, as you've given him new sight and ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, um, good morning. Uh, I'm Jack, and uh, I'm excited to be up here sharing my testimony with uh, you all this morning. Uh, it was great hearing uh, Matt preach on John 9, 1 through 12, and I've been reading over this a lot and thinking about it a lot the uh, past few weeks. And uh, while doing this, it's been really cool uh, to see just how similar my life was um, to, to this when I committed my life to following and walking with God, and honestly, how it continues to relate to my relationship with God, giving me guidance, clarity, peace, and ultimately just joy with God. Uh, so I grew up in a great Christian household, and I felt like, like I definitely had a relationship with God when I was younger. But looking back on it, um, a lot of that was because of my parents, my family, and those close around me set all that up for me. And I'm eternally grateful for that upbringing. Uh, however, when I moved away to college and first moved to Nashville, this cool new city right after school, my relationship with God was very different. I no longer had those people around me uh, making sure I was in church and making sure I was just pressing into a relationship with Christ and really getting to know God as my father. So looking back, uh, I was quick to place my needs at once before God. Uh, I would spend my energy and focus on having fun with friends, frequenting Broadway uh, and that social scene and trying to figure out how to juggle this new city while figuring out a new career and running around with uh, different social circles and some that might not have been the best. Uh, it was easy for me to place God after all of that. Uh, and I knew if I was going to have, uh, and I got good at knowing if I was going to have some downtime or maybe a free Sunday morning, I could make myself busy during those times too. And so eventually, after a year or two in Nashville, I honestly felt like something was just missing. And then uh, one Sunday morning, a couple years ago, or a few years ago, I found myself in the back of uh, Midtown 12 South, and uh, Elliot was preaching that morning. And during his sermon, he uh, directed his attention to the younger people in the church and said something to the effect of, uh, who knows where life's going to take us? how long you might be in Nashville. Wouldn't it be a shame if, if the entire time you're here, you just lived and benefited from the city and never gave back? And uh, that really stuck with me. And I felt like, honestly, I've been doing that with God. I was enjoying all he blessed me with and then walking with my own blind path. Uh, so during that time, uh, completely by the grace of God, he just lit a fire in me. And it wasn't necessarily overnight or over a day or two, but it might have been a week or so, the Holy Spirit just dwelled in me. And I could just feel the weight of it. It was incredible. Um, and this time, I just wasn't going to let go. And it was honestly, it was a very emotional time in my life. And, uh, you know, I realized it was nothing of my doing, but it was just uh, that God loved me. And despite being blind towards him and, you know, ignoring him or putting him on hold for a few years, he just wanted to get to know me and gave me this new sight to follow him. So then shortly after that, he showed up multiple times. You know, I was craving some sort of some sort of adventure with God, but wasn't sure where to start. So I went back to that Midtown 12 South, and Matt was actually preaching uh, that day, and it was really cool. Uh, so Matt and I started talking after the sermon, and uh, he knew my family from his time back in Knoxville, and so we were talking, and uh, he told me about Midtown West and this new vision he had for uh, people pursuing an adventure with God and uh, multiple people putting on that adventure together. And Matt, you've been a huge influence with, uh, with that and a bunch of different things, and it's been, it's been really cool to get involved here, and I've had conversations with uh, Nick Pilkington and a handful of other people in this room that have honestly just kind of steered the course of my life for the past few years. Uh, so lastly, 
As I mentioned at the start of this, uh, this passage of John still relates a lot to my life. Uh, so Matt reached out a few months ago to see if I'd be interested in sharing a day. And at the time when he reached out, you know, life was super busy. It was easy to get a little anxious or overwhelmed with my schedule. Everything coming up, I was ch changing jobs at the time. I was figuring out friendships. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, you know, now I'm a Christian and I love God. And, um, you know, I have a few months to get my life and the speech figured out. Um, I get myself in a good place so I could get up here, uh, feel close with God, and feel good about my, my uh, relationship with him when I speak to all of y'all today. And it's funny how God used that, you know, to speak to me again and pointing out the way I was looking at, looking at him and my misplaced vision of him or what I call a temporary blindness. Uh, when I was reading John 9 these past couple weeks preparing for this, as you may have guessed, I, I did not put myself in a place where I felt like I was walking stride for stride with the Lord. And he ensured me, like, I myself never will do that. And it was truly awesome just to experience in that overwhelming grace of him again, just here very shortly. Um, and then just recognizing how much he loves me and wants me to just release control to him and place him first and be in the moment and just sit back and enjoy him and uh, let everything else fall into place. And he showed me that, you know, time and time again, that when I place him first, things are going to work out. And it's honestly just way better than anything I could ever draw up. So to wrap up, um, I'm just very thankful for my blindness and like the love and the deep peace and joy that's so abundant with uh, God walking with this new side I have. As we uh, continue to worship you, Lord, I, pr I pray that you would, um, Lord, thank you for Jack and just for his encouragement to us. Um, pray blessings on him. Pray blessings on us as we, um, Lord, just, just reveal yourself to us. Um, would you continue to reveal our need for you? Um, when we, we come to you for healing, um, it's, it's a continual need that we have. Lord, you have you've changed us, you give us new life, but um, we also need to stay so close, and that's part of your design because you love us and you, you want us to stay so close. And so, Lord, um, would you keep us humble, keep us close to you? Uh, would you... Um, change our tastes, Lord? Would you change our, our tastes and our affections um, and, and turn our attention toward you? And Lord, then would you fill us? Lord, would you make us really hungry for you and then fill us and satisfy us and continue to fill us? Um, and so, Lord, do that uh, even starting now as we, uh, as we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.